Hey everyone, this is Chris Benton with with uh, Metro Buzz, where we get up close and personal with uh, leaders of Na Nashville, Tennessee, and Middle Tennessee. And I may have fooed a little bit because I'm so used to the Chris and Sandy show because we don't do many of Metro Buzz, but we're excited to have our Metro Buzz really kicking off. And we're excited to bring on Judge Melissa Blackburn. She's doing some great things out there within the Nashville world. And we're excited to talk to her a little bit about law, a little bit about what she's doing, a little bit about her story. So, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being on. Um, now, I've been starting out our, all of our um, interviews the same way. And as you know, everybody, it's a tough season for a lot of people. Um, how has COVID affected what you do? And what are some of the things you've done to kind of maneuver through this crazy maze? Well, COVID has changed the way all the courts in Davidson County have worked since basically March 18th of last year. And what we had to do was obviously protect the public, mm -hmm. protect the individuals coming through the courthouse that were defendants and try to protect all the employees of the metro court system. Yeah. So that's a lot of people coming from a lot of different directions, coming from a lot of different counties, whether they're incarcerated or not. And it was an enormous job. Um, we've had a huge number of metro employees that have had COVID. Mm -hmm. We've had a huge number of inmates that have had COVID. Wow. And we had several judges, entire staffs that have been shut down, court wow. divisions of COVID. So it's affected everybody. And trying to do the best we could for everyone. And at the same time, when you're in a criminal system, there are courts that are required for constitutional reasons to stay yep. open. Uh, there's a domestic violence court that's required to stay open for constitutional reasons. Mm -hmm are um, the um, that definitely makes sense well and there are two other courts there is felony jail and misdemeanor jail that are required to stay open for constitutional reasons so in trying to balance all that and then you you're bringing in not only those inmates mm -hmm. you're bringing in witnesses for those cases and then you're trying also to limit the number of family support individuals that you're bringing in for those cases. Um, so that's very difficult. And we've tried to limit those as much as possible. Um, and that's been tough. We've ruffled some feathers because Joe wants to bring in 10 family members. Susie wants to bring in 25. <laughs> and we're only allowed to have 25 or 10 people in the courtroom, depending on what the Supreme Court orders have been. Yeah because there's been a Supreme Court order since basically um, last March 18th that has told us what our guidance is across the state. Mm -hmm. And we've been required to follow that. And thank goodness they did that because that has given every court across the state, other than in the federal court system, a guidance as to what we can and cannot do. Wow. And we've been able to follow that footprint as we open back up or close back down as to who can come in, who cannot, how many people can be in a courtroom, excluding the attorneys and the court staff, um, how many witnesses can be there, how many cases we can do in an hour, just the entire footprint as we've opened and closed. And the justices have done a phenomenal job, and I know it's been a heavy burden on them, 
to try to figure out what is the right thing to do for the courts, not only the civil courts. There hasn't been a civil trial other than the ones that have been held by Zoom. And several wow. have held trials by Zoom. I know that um, Chancellor Lyle here in Davidson County was probably one of the first chancellors to hold a trial by Zoom. Huh. She did a civil trial by Zoom, which <laughs> that was a behemoth to be able to do that. <laughs> wow. And they've tried very hard to continue to do their jobs by Zoom. I know they've done motions by Zoom. I know they've also done mediations by Zoom. I know my husband, who's a practicing attorney here in Davidson County, has done numerous mediations by Zoom. So across the bar, whether it's the civil bar, the criminal bar, or in general sessions, all across the state, judges and other individuals, attorneys, we've all tried to do the best we can to continue to serve the public and do our jobs. And, that's, and, I bet, and I bet that's the toughest part is because you've got you got people that don't believe at all in the virus and you've got people that believe so much that they think everything should be closed. And so it's kind of hard to cater to anybody when everybody has all these different beliefs. Well, except then again, the Supreme Court put down an order mm. that required anyone stepping foot in any courthouse in the state must wear a mask and must have a mask on the entire time through the courthouse. So that made it easy for us because that meant every employee. Point to the Supreme Court. Yes. Every employee, every sheriff's deputy, every defendant, every witness, didn't matter who it is, every judge has to have a mask on the entire time they're in the building. And I've had defendants that have come in that are in incarcerated they're in there for their hearing pull their mask down it's like stop you got to cover up your nose you got to cover up your mouth mm -hmm. i'm not going forward until you cover it back up yeah because i guess they feel like i'm not in the back anymore i'm out here in the courtroom i can uncover it. it's like no you can't you've got to cover up your attorney is standing right next to you being exposed to whatever you were exposed to and you're exposed to whatever your attorney just was exposed to and that's the reason for that guidance. And thank goodness they did it because that takes the onus off of everybody else, whether it's a sheriff's deputy or whether it's me. So they've been wonderful as far as providing that guidance. Yeah, because y'all, because they can't blame y'all now. They can blame the Supreme Court. Exactly. <laughs> so it definitely helps when it comes from the high court. <laughs> it's helped us all. Um, so when we take away the judge, who is Melissa Blackburn? Tell us your backstory a little bit. What got you here? What got me here is I was an attorney practicing 20-something years here in Davidson wow. County. I'm a native Nashvilleian. Um, I grew up out in Bellevue. Um, I'm married to an attorney here in Nashville, Gary Blackburn. Uh, together, we've raised four children. Um, I have practiced creditor's rights law for a number of years. I lost a daughter. She oh, wow. was a senior father, Ryan. She Sorry to hear that. Um, that pretty much sent my life into a tailspin, as you can imagine. Um, and I stopped practicing. I closed my practice um, and took a break. Um, when I tried to come back to the practice, I had to find something else to do for a while. Yeah. Um, I spent almost five years with Habitat for Humanity. Oh, wow. 
the director of annual giving and the director of a capital campaign. Um, when you've been a creditor's rights attorney, you can pretty much ask anybody for money. And I, <laughs> you know, I they don't afraid. feel obligated though. I wasn't afraid to ask anybody for money, particularly for a nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> and I we were able to get that capital campaign done and get annual giving done for almost five years. Wow. Uh, and at that point, I had already told them that I was going to run for judge. And oh, it was wow. for me to leave that <clears throat> and go run for judge. And um, I had decided that when you run for judge, you pick a division. You don't just go run for judge. Yeah. Um, whether it's chancellor, whether it's a cr criminal court judge, you pick a division. Mm -hmm. And I had put a lot of thought into it um, because there were several general sessions judges that were going to be open at that point. And I had met with Judge Dan Eisenstein, who was the mental health court judge at that point and veterans court judge. And I had made the decision that that was the best place that I could serve. Oh, wow. I could contribute most there. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision that I wanted to run for division two, which was the mental health court judge. Oh, cool. And that is where I ran. And got it. I did. I won. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was that process like in running for that judge? Well, I started in October of 2012. The primary was May of 2014. So oh, wow. it was, it was a long and arduous task, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I was determined to learn everything I could about it and work my tail off. And I did. Um, I was probably the least likely person to win because I hadn't mm. been practicing at that point. But I was determined that I was going to make a difference. And I think I really have. Um, there were probably between, I don't remember the number of opponents I had. I think I, between five and seven in the Democratic primary. Mm -hmm. And I had, a, then in August, I had a Republican opponent in the general election. But I won both and became General Sessions Judge of Division II, the Mental Health Court, the Veterans Court. Now, tell us exactly what it is that you preside over as a judge for the mental health courts? Well, um, the mental health court was founded in 2001 by Judge Fishburne, who is a criminal court judge. And then um, Judge Andre Lee, when he was appointed to criminal court, was the judge. And then Judge Dan Eisenstein became the judge subsequently when he was elected. Um, so it had been there for quite some time. So it was a very, very established court. Mm -hmm. It is um, a, a position where the individuals are <coughs> recommended either because they have a mental health illness. Oh, wow. And the judge suggests that the court they need to be in. Their attorney suggests that's where they need to be. The probation officer, they may have already been on probation previously, or possibly the family suggests it, or the individual asks. Somehow they get referred to the mental health court for an evaluation. Yeah. There is an evaluation that's done with that individual to determine 
because it's voluntary if they want to come to mental health court. If it's determined that they're appropriate, their case is then transferred to mental health court from whatever courtroom they're in currently. And their case can either come over open, which means it's not adjudicated. Mm -hmm. Their charges have not been heard yet. Yeah. Or it can come over where they've already pled to their charges. Either way. And then it comes over to mental health court and I agree to accept their case. Um, at that point, they're assigned to a mental health client specialist um, and a care plan is set up for them based on what they're charged with, what their mental health needs are, because we get their records and determine where you they see are. see everything. So if they've been treated, if mental health co-op has been treating them, if Centerstone has been treating them, if they've been on probation before, if they have a history in the criminal justice system. And I'm sure a lot falls through the cracks. Well, they do. But if there's anything we can find out so we have a starting point, we get it. Um, if they don't have a history, then we have them evaluated in the jail. And we have them, no matter what the point they're at, we make certain they're stable in the jail. They're medicated before we move them to the next step. Wow. And if they're self-medicating by using alcohol and or drugs, obviously we have to determine, do they need to go in to inpatient treatment? And if they do, we get them a bed either at Elam or at Buffalo Valley or whatever treatment facility is appropriate for them. If they do not need inpatient treatment for a drug or alcohol problem, we make sure they're stable on the medication they're on in jail. And if they're not on any medication, we have them evaluated in jail and get them on a medication before we can release them. They have to be stable before we can release them. That makes a lot of sense. I bet it's tough because you, I'm sure you see a lot of cases where it, you got you go to bed at night, um, not sure what to do. Well, usually we have an idea what to do whether we're able to do it or not, that's the problem. Because a lot of times the individuals in mental health court have no funding. If you're dealing with a veteran, got mm. someone in mental health court, this may be their initial psychotic break. So they don't have SSI. Yeah. They don't have disability. They don't have any funding source. Wow. So before you can put them in a halfway house, you have to have money. And the mental health court does not have in Davidson County, in Shelby County, and in Hamilton County, I can tell you, we don't have a funding source. Hmm. The Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services with the state of Tennessee has funding, but we don't get any money from them for our mental health courts. Oh, wow. The governor funds small counties, rural counties. Huh. When he says he's got $3.5 million in his budget, he's giving to mental health courts. I don't know what his budget is this year, but mm. last year, every dime of that went to rural counties. He did not give a single penny to urban counties, not a single penny. And that hurts y'all because you, you can't do what you need to do, especially in a big city. 
we have to find money when Susie or John need to go to transitional housing from jail. We have to find the funding. And the only thing we get is from Metro Nashville, Davidson County in our budget. That is the only funding we get. Hmm. Previously, we, we had a fund and the recovery court in Davidson County and that, I'm sorry, mental health court share a fund. The funding was from a tax on DUIs. Well, what's happened to the DUIs in the last six years? Uber and Lyft. They're fantastic mm. services. Mm. DUIs have gone down dramatically. I'm thrilled Especially with Especially last year, I'd imagine. Well, less yeah. driving. And I'm thrilled with that. That's great. People are safe. But that and our DA doesn't prosecute first time offenders for a DUI. Most of those are pled down to reckless. So that also decreases the amount of funding for uh, the court. When right. I was elected, the fund was about $120,000 a year that we split with recovery court, which is a drug court, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's about down to $40,000 a year. So we each get about $20,000 a year to pay for transitional housing, drug screens, and to pay for bus passes. Wow. So you can imagine how that's impacted our ability to pay for transitional housing. Now, how has all this been affected um, when you count with COVID? How, you know, what's been happening now when you add COVID on it and the mental health that comes with that? It, we have more people that need the services and less money to pay for it. And we have the impact of what has happened to the metro budget and the decrease about availability of funds there and the needs because COVID has decreased funding to the metro budget. The other things that hit the metro budget last year, we had the tornado and we had the other things that hit the metro budget and we still have our need. And then our the terrorist attack. Yes. Oh, yeah, on top of everything else. Yeah, on top of everything. Our need hasn't gone away. We have people that are out there that need it desperately, but that doesn't mean the money's more available. It's actually less available. So, so there's more people, so you're trying to scrimp to get each person the help they need. Yes. <clears throat> now, have you seen, um, with the mental health side of things, have you seen it get worse, not as in more people, but people being worse because of COVID and all that? Right now, I can't say that they're worse. I can but a say lot more. More need services. And it's harder to get them into services. One of the facilities we use for services is Judge Seth Norman's DC4. Mm -hmm. I have seven beds out there that I use for veterans in mental health court. Well, they've not been accepting people since probably last September because of COVID. They've not taken one person in a bed. So I'm not able to put the people that I need to put in a bed out mm -hmm. there because they are not taking anyone. Mm -hmm. So that, that opportunity there, which the court actually pays for as, a port, as opposed to 
other places paying for the individual never pays a dime to go out there basically um that opportunity for beds has been unavailable to us so what's happening is a lot of people instead of getting the help they need mental health they're just being pushed into the jail system they're sitting in jail longer yes which is very unfortunate because when someone needs mental health services the last place they need to sit is in jail yeah one piece that has been helpful is the new behavioral health center Fairfax. we have been able to use some beds over there oh, as cool. a temporary place to get them some assistance until we can get them somewhere else so that has been helpful thank goodness for that wow let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the veteran side of things um how does how can people support the veterans court and what is the veterans court the veterans court is very similar to the mental health court um, but it serves anyone that has been a veteran, whether they were honorably or dishonorably served, uh, discharged. Either mm. way, it does not matter. We will take them. Um, and some veterans are very fearful of telling you they're a veteran for fear they're going to lose their benefits. They're not going to lose their benefits. In fact, if they haven't had their benefits turned on, we can work with them. There's someone with the mayor's office that will help us get their benefits turned on. Because we want to get you every dime you're entitled to. If you're incarcerated with a criminal charge, we're going to get your money turned on. If you are entitled to a dime, we want you to get your benefits. And in fact, we can sometimes get benefits raised and you can get more services because of the state you are in right now. Um, it's the same process. We have them evaluated. They are assigned to a client specialist. Um, who evaluates the, their case, comes up with a plan. One thing that's different with the Veterans Court is we have a whole group of agencies that work with the Veterans Treatment Court and are in court every Monday when we have Veterans Treatment Court. Mm -hmm. And they're there so that when an individual comes to court, we can have them immediately go out and speak with one of these treatment members and set up appointments while they're right there. The yeah. agencies include Operation Stand Down, the VA, the Department of Mental Health Services, Tennessee Department of Labor, Tennessee Department of Veterans Affairs, Centerstone, and HUD-VASH. Oh, wow. As well as our mentor specialists are all there in court. So we can immediately have that veteran talk with them while they're in court and have those agencies work with them right there and provide those services. Um, it's all about putting services around a veteran and surrounding them with that help. Um, we have veterans that have PTSD, veterans that have TBI, traumatic brain injuries. Oh, wow. And the goal is to give them all that care while they're there. Um, we find them either if they need inpatient treatment, if they need transitional housing, whatever they need, we provide them those services. We also provide veterans with a mentor. Each oh, I love that. To a mentor. And that mentor stays with them the entire time they're in, their, in our court, whether they're for, there for six months or 18 months or two years or five years. We have referrals from the criminal court both for mental health court and the Veterans Treatment Court. 
we're the only mental health court in Davidson County and only veterans in Davidson County. So we accept whoever, no matter where they are in the criminal justice system. Wow. And the whole goal of both of those courts is mm -hmm. that the individual completes the time on probation is that they're, if the case is expungible, all their cases are expunged, even prior charges if they're expungible. And what happens when a veteran completes everything? Well, they're, they graduate. There's a graduation ceremony right now. It's on Zoom, unfortunately. But there is a graduation ceremony. Um, and their fines and fees are waived, even for prior charges. Oh, wow. And their cases, even prior cases, if they're expungible, are expunged. So you have a fresh start. It doesn't keep you from getting a job. It doesn't keep you from getting housing. Anything we can do in either court to give you a fresh start, we do. Because we owe that to them. I mean, the veterans. I'm sorry. I have got to love the animals. <laughs> Until she starts barking. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, we owe the veterans, you know, they've done a lot of great stuff for our country. So we at least owe them that. Well, and the whole point is to surround them with whatever we can do to help them. And I'll have people call and say, OK, I've got a veteran that has this problem. He doesn't have any criminal charges. Can you help? Of course we can help. Oh, wow. We're going to do anything we can do to help, whether they have mental health issues or whether it's a veteran. Our court staff is going to do whatever we can to help anyone, even if they're not in Davidson County. We're going to help them and we're going to do whatever we can to help. We're here as citizens of Davidson County and members of this community to do whatever we can because there are other counties that don't have mental health court. There are other counties that don't have veterans treatment courts. Mm -hmm. We're here to help. I love that. So, um, as you know, to do what you do, it takes a team of people. Not You you can't do everything. So if you want to just give a shout out to some of the people that's kind of helped you along the way to create this um, great mental health thing around you, people that's just doing something great. Well, Mark Winslow is my court administrator. He has <laughs> been since I started running for judge. Uh, I couldn't do this without him. He keeps the train running on time. Um, there is someone down in Rutherford County who was with me from day one as well. Oh, Trish wow. Payne, who the mayor of Rutherford County stole from me. <laughs> I don't love that. I have a bone to pick with him. He has a bigger budget than Davidson County and he just threw the moon, stars and sun at her and I couldn't do anything about it. So she's down there running their court system now. She was a dear, um, but now I have Michael Mesmer. Michael is a veteran who was a Marine who took Trisha's place and is responsible oh, well. for persons in Davidson County. He's doing a great job. Um, I have um, Erica Gailey, who is responsible for the veterans piece. She is the client specialist for veterans. I have, let's see. I have, um, you're going to catch me now because I don't have my list of names. Um, <laughs> you really are going to get me. Um, I have Derek Deshay, who is one of my clients, specialists in mental health court. 
I have, um, oh, you're, you're going to get me in trouble. We don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and I really don't have my names. I have Valerie. I have, um, oh, you, you're really getting me in trouble. Um, go to something else and let me come back where my brain's going to get. <laughs> so tell me a few of the people that may have helped you outside of working for you. That's kind of helped you too. Um, oh goodness. Um, Judge Eisenstein. I could not do this without Judge Eisenstein. Oh, when, wow. I, when I was running, he let me come sit next to him. Oh, cool. He has answered a gazillion questions. And he's always been open to do whatever I needed. In fact, he serves on my nonprofit board. We have a nonprofit board um, that provides funding for the mental health and veterans court that when we need money, like you said, <laughs> for something that we don't have, that foundation provides funding. Oh, wow. um, we as judges can't ask for money, money, but the nonprofit board can combine money to pay for housing or provide money for other things that we can't do, yeah. um, which is fantastic because without that, um, we would never be able to pay for stuff. It's amazing when you start thinking about um, at one point, in fact, Operation Stand Down had had meals donated, meal boxes, um, and they were not able to give all those away. And they gave us some. And huh. we were able to pass those boxes on to individuals that were coming into our office that didn't have food. Oh, cool. And that's something that's not unusual. And I will say this about my staff. They uh, feed people frequently. Um, children will come into our office that haven't eaten and they'll go buy food for those children with they're with their parents or mothers that are there with children that haven't eaten and the mother hasn't eaten and they'll make sure they'll take their lunch money and go buy food. Um, my staff is just absolutely caring, loving, wonderful because they care about what they do. It's not. A and job. you need to in y'all's position, you know, when you have somebody that's at a job just because it's that's paying their bills for what y'all do, then that then that doesn't benefit anybody. You know, that actually hurts the whole system when you have people like that. But when you got people that care like you and like your team, that's when we all can be in this together. Well, and that's that's not what this office is. Everyone there has been there at least two, two and a half years. Um, and they came from other metro offices that were responsible for either juvenile staff or DHS. They all genuinely care about people and about what they do. And it's not a nine to five job because they all have a metro phone they take home. And <laughs> they're told by these individuals are told, OK, if you get in trouble, because occasionally one of our folks commit suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, if you wow. need somebody, you either pick up the phone and you call Susie or you call your attorney. You don't go get high. You don't yeah. go use. You don't go to that bar. You pick up the phone and call one of these two people because if you don't, I'm going to put you in jail. And they know I'm going to throw their tail back in jail. 
So they've got to call either their client specialist at two o'clock in the morning or they've got to call their attorney. And talking about not going to the bar, I mean, that's really tough for Nashville because that is Nashville's downtown. So it's real easy for someone to say, you know what, I'll shoot in here, you know, and use the excuse. I'm just listening to music. Well, and it's obviously, I've never known. <laughs> I wouldn't know where to go, but clearly it's quite easy to get high in Nashville too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that that's pretty much everywhere, but probably Nashville, I can imagine. I definitely can imagine that being a big thing, too. Um, so you're talking about the team and stuff. You know, we, I've got a kind of a co-host that I bring on, ask one or two questions. Um, uh, my little well, nine-year-old. Um, well, let me and, get the rest of the team before I get in I, trouble. Okay. Cynthia Nelson, I have to shout out to, okay? Cynthia is, okay, she's really the head of the team. Cynthia has been here since day one. She, in fact, was the only staff of Judge Eisenstein that I brought with me. Oh, wow. She runs everything. When we do a graduation, she is in charge of the certificates, everything, the food, everything. Cynthia runs the entire ship. Um, Mary Grace Capps, Valerie Fisher, Samantha Keeling, Derek Deshaies. And I named the other two. Okay, who is this that I'm looking My at? My name is Christopher. Hi, Christopher. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Sue. Uh, hi, Judge Melissa. Sue. What's your favorite food? What's my favorite food? Yes. Huh. Well, we bring him in on to ask the serious questions. Okay, now th this is not good. <laughs> your mother's going to tell you not to eat this. French fries. Mm. Yum. What's yours? Pizza. I, that's my second. I had pizza last night for dinner, which I shouldn't have had. What kind of pizza do you like? Uh, uh, I like pepperoni and sausage. That's exactly what I had last night. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite. Oh, well. Uh, what's your next question? All right. What's it for a TV show? That I don't know. That's hard. <laughs> With all the paperwork you have, you probably don't have much time. I, I don't. I, I have the news on more than anything else because I always have the news on to see what I've missed. What's your? Like Mine is SpongeBob. SpongeBob? Yes. Did SpongeBob get any snow lately? <laughs> no. <laughs> Everybody else did. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have some snow on a SpongeBob episode. <laughs> they, they do. <laughs> <laughs> Did you miss school? Uh, see, I'm not, I'm not school yet. He's, he's homeschooled. Okay. Well, that that's good that you didn't miss any school because of the so, snow. So what, so what was great about it, you know, you know, is a lot of people are against, I've always been against that. But when, as the COVID happened, he didn't have to change nothing. So it kind of benefited us a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> In the entire last week, it benefited as well. <laughs> yep. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get him used to the camera and stuff. And, and you know, we, we are a family show. And like I said, you know, we have the Chris and Sandy show and where my wife and I both are usually on. But, but the Metro Buzz, we do a little earlier. So we've got a almost two-year-old little daughter that for the other show, we can put her down for a nap. But she we, she's not going to sleep for two, three hours. So, so, so for this show, I usually, I'm usually using the one on it. And then I'll bring him on. And then the other show... We are because we are a family affair. 
Well, you've got to feed him pizza tonight for dinner. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I can eat, you know, he could eat it anytime he wants. <clears throat> so what's been, as we come to a close here, what's been the toughest part of your job? There have been several tough parts. Um, I've had three different people come into the courtroom. These all were women. Grab a handful of pills out of their purse and swallow them. Wow. One was a mother in front of three children. Uh, the other two were women as they were going into custody. Um. And that has been very traumatic. Um, you don't expect that to happen. Um, all lived. Um, one of the three eventually killed herself in the house. The other piece, I guess, is learning that someone died. Um, all that have died have died of an overdose. Um, at their own hand, um, two within one week. Wow. Uh, one was found in his own bed by his grandmother the next morning. One was found in a bush three days later. Mm. Um, and when you think they've got it together mm -hmm. and they been doing great for quite some time and that they're almost there and are almost finished with the program and then to learn that they've died wow that's really tough like to see all this potential and you see that growth yes and they're almost ready to graduate and they've got their stuff together <coughs> doing it and they're just about ready to go out on their own and whether it's they don't feel like they can handle it on their own or whatever and they do something so stupid mm -hmm. that's the toughest part wow and it's tough for me it's tough for the staff hmm. it's tough for everybody it's tough even hearing it So um, what can we as a society as a whole do? Because, you know, there's a lot of people in those positions, you know, just because they don't come in your courtroom don't mean that they're not in that position. But there's a lot of people out there, especially since COVID. What can people do? I don't and leave politics out of this. It does. As you know, politics makes no difference on this. What can the average person do to help mend some of these relationships? out there where that where maybe where, where we will know at least have signs that this person something's happening with stay in touch don't lose touch with your friends and neighbors don't just assume because that light is on in that kitchen or that car is in that driveway that they're okay make sure you pick up the phone and check on them um, excuse me, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Don't worry, I've done it too. So. <laughs> Column. Meet him for dinner. I mean, we're at the point you can meet outside and sit outside and have dinner. Um, I would maybe all cold. At least have, you know, unless they're an alcoholic, have a drink or just go have a Coke. Mm -hmm. See people face to face. Um, we've got to do that. We haven't done it for a year. Yes, we're getting uh, vaccines. I'm not there yet. Chris, you're not there yet unless you've got a health nope. problem. No. We're not old enough. Um, but we've got to start communicating again. We can't stay walled off because being walled off is going to give those people that are on the borderline and who desperately need to see people face to face the opportunity to leave. Yeah. And to say, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. It's never going to be over. I'm going to have to wear this mask for the rest of my life. I can't take it. And we can't let that happen. As a society, we have to stick it out, hang in there, and take responsibility to connect with others. We can't take responsibility for their life, but we can't no. can take responsibility to call them, to go yeah. see them. To see them face to face, we've got to look each other in the eye because if we look each other in the eye or have them open their door, we can tell if they're in trouble. Yeah. We can see if their house is a disaster. We can see if they haven't gotten out of their pajamas. If we see they're not out of their pajamas, house is going to be a disaster if you got young ones. <laughs> yeah, and we know there's a problem. If their sink has dishes in it for four days, we need to kind of be aware of that. So you can't just let them barely open the front door. Yeah. Um, because if my house looks like that, somebody needs to know it. If I haven't, you know, gotten my dishes out of the dishwasher for four days, somebody better knock on my door and come in here. And I hope somebody cares enough about me that they're going to check on that. Yeah. Um, and all of this working from home that we've done for the last 11 months, we're not going to all go back to the office. There's going to still be a lot of working from home because everybody, a lot of people, they would rather work from home now. Yeah. Cause they, you know, yeah. that's, that's been the whole thing between um, jobs and people, you know, for years you've heard people say, why, I, what I can do, I can do from home, but bosses would never do that. And now all of a sudden, they realize a lot of these bosses are realizing the work you can do from home. They're getting more production out of people yes. because they're now where they feel comfortable where they can do it. Now, granted, with what you do, you kind of can't um, stay home and, you know, but there's certain jobs that can. Yeah. Well, and there's some dockets we've all learned we can do from home and we're doing from home. Um, motion dockets, they've judges have learned they can do from home. They don't have to be in a courtroom because both sides can just sit in their offices or sit at home and do it because they don't need witnesses on motion dockets and they're trucking right along. Um, I know in Memphis they're doing civil trials because attorneys are sitting at home or in their conference room with their witnesses and doing it. Oh, wow. 
you know, we can accommodate. We find a way. Absolutely. And I think we're going to become a lot more efficient and learn how to manage a lot better our time as we've learned through this pandemic. But what that does is that isolates us. And yeah. we've got to make sure we touch base and see people face to face so they don't get isolated. So important. Yeah. So important, you know, and all that. Um, so as we come to a close here, if somebody was trying to go through the legal system as a job, a career, what advice would you give that person? And let's say they got the heart for it and all that. What are some things that they need to think about as they're making that move? Don't give up. Um, I don't care whether you're a man or a woman. Put your big girl panties on, <laughs> put your down, and go do it. Whatever you've decided you want to do, do it. Every step of the way, I had people telling me that I could not do it. I was a mother of an 18-month-old, nine months pregnant wow. with a husband who was a second-year resident at Vanderbilt when I started law school. And I was told, I, A, I would not finish law school. B, I would never pass the bar. Wow. And I did both. And I passed the bar that I have. I put my head down and I did it. So if you make up your mind, you're going to do it, you will. And that's what you have to do. And if you decide you want to practice criminal law, civil law, you want to be a DA, a public defender, whatever it is you decide you want to do, put your head down and go do it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't because you can and great way to end here. You know, we really loved having you on today and we look forward to having you back down the road. I will come back anytime you want me to. And thank Sounds you. Great. <laughs> Sounds great. You have a great day. You too. Thank you.